We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is Thursday, April 15th, tax day. Uh, we all know it. We all love it. And uh, we are going to get into uh, a handful of things. We've got a bit of a grab bag of, of a show for today. We're going to unpack a couple of teams that are piquing our respective interests. We're going to get into the Broncos and the Carolina Panthers, really deep dives into both of them and how you should be approaching their respective players in your best ball drafts and, of course, in, in your regular uh, season-long drafts once those start cropping up and we're also going to run through in the second half of the show uh we're going to get into a rookie draft just kind of set the record straight on a on a two-round rookie draft just like you would in your dynasty leagues uh, i'm sure that those rookie drafts are coming up in your respective leagues uh here anytime soon so uh we will get into those as well but mario i want to kick things off in denver because i just w- i was thinking about him the other day And just what a weird kind of limbo that they're in where like at at once I'm so intrigued by them. But at the same time, I'm so repelled by Denver as well because the quarterback question is so huge because they have this collection of awesome skill talent. I mean, we we got Cortland Sutton coming back. Uh, 
Jerry Judy had some really promising signs last year, obviously had some warts to his game that we'll get into as well. Uh, Noah Fant seems to be blossoming. Albert O, once he's healthy, is an interesting piece. Uh, K.J. Hamler, of course, and then we don't really know what to do with Tim Patrick yet because he just replaced all of those Cortland Sutton snaps a year ago. So uh, just kind of starting things out and then also the idea that maybe it's not going to be Drew Locke at quarterback uh, come week one. Obviously, the free agency has mostly passed as far as the, the quarterbacks are concerned, but maybe Denver is a, an option to either trade up or take a quarterback at number nine. We'll, we'll have to see what happens there, but I, I think that it stands to reason that Drew Locke isn't the unquestioned starter in Denver. So I just kind of want, want to start things off with your level of interest in this offense and and how it changes, whether it is Drew Locke back there or if it's a rookie um, starting a quarterback for, for them and how this offense might function. Yeah, it's a good situation, like you said, for the pass-catching personnel. It's hard to tell how much the quarterback and even the blocking can kind of put that receiving talent into the box score if it's just kind of going to go to waste or or otherwise sort of give a disappointing return. So it's tough for me to guess which way that's headed because Drew Locke is one of the more confusing quarterbacks to figure out for me because he's, he's basically been bad. I don't think there's any thing to, to get around the fact that he's been just bad to this point. It's just that it wouldn't be the first time if he does well from this point, even after doing poorly to begin with, and especially because he has a lot of tools wise to work with, you know, especially the, the throwing velocity, the throwing distance. And even as a runner, like he's got quite a bit of athleticism actually. So for fantasy, that's, that's no small detail. Like if, if, uh, if he takes a step forward this year because he's a runner, that doesn't mean any less to, to fantasy investors in him. Uh, it wouldn't mean less to the pass catchers, but it, I also kind of look at it. Like if Locke gets going as a runner, it probably will open things up as a passer. So uh, any gains that he can make can kind of uh, not like beget gains other places, but kind of like help bring them about, uh, especially when the defense has to stress itself so much over the pass catchers. And that's, that's something that's going to be on the mind of the secondary every single play. It's like one thing to go against Drew Locke knowing like, oh, he's, he's got Judy, he's got Tim Patrick, that's it. We just got to you know, tee up on him and, and rattle him and just, just gun for him. You can't just gun for him like crazy if, if, if every snap there's all of Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, uh, Fant, and Tim Patrick, who did well last year. Tim Patrick's probably going to regress a little bit just because sure. he's, he's probably more like a bear guy if he, if he is a capable starter. But he's been, you know, right at or above the baseline pretty much, I think, the past two years at least there. So it's hard to really make a case against him. And when you got speed, like, uh, I guess you wouldn't say speed with Judy, but there's a lot of elusiveness there you have to account for. There's certainly speed with Fant. There's certainly speed with Equegbenum and KJ Hamler. So that's just a lot of things you have to remember every play as a defense. And, and when you're spending time thinking about those things, you're just, you're spending a little less looking at Drew Locke's eyes and trying to, you know, figure out where he's going. And, and Or you can look too much at, at Locke and he can send one to Hamler over your head. And that, that kind of just you know, fixes itself from that point. So there's, there's a wide, wide range of ways that drew lock specifically can go. And, and the way Doc goes, will will pretty much determine the way everything else goes. Uh, but that's also, you know, even, even lock itself is, is enough of a question, of course, but we don't know he's going to be the guy, like you said, like they could, they could move up for fields or Lance or something like that. Apparently they already tried to trade for Sam Darnold. So that certainly indicates that uh, if, if lock is, 
safe at this point with with the Broncos missing out in that trade. He still probably has a pretty short leash, and they're they're going to keep looking for ways to do better than him. So we'll see. I uh, I'm not buying Locke. Like I, I don't. I just feel like I got to go other ways at quarterback, and uh, for that reason, I'm not going to be picking him. But it's not because I feel certain about what way it's going to go with him. It's I, I feel quite the opposite. Like if he does well. I can't feel surprised, uh, but I'm not going to like beat myself up for not investing because there's just so much that can go wrong at this point too. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. He, he, I think the short leash detail is probably the the right one to to focus on when it when it comes to him. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, even if they don't take a quarterback in the or at pick number nine. Maybe they grab a, a de- more developmental guy uh, to push him. Maybe like a Kellen Mond or something in the second or third round. Uh, to, We'll have to see what what happens there. But either way, I think the job security is not great for him. But again, the the weapons can really help elevate him. And like you said, that there are some tools when it comes to lock. But when you when you're trying to like kind of solve the puzzle of what to bring from the 2020 Denver offense into 2021, you have a guy in Cortland Sutton who was such a you know a target monster back in 2019, but he basically missed the entire season. So. I mean, it, it, in one sense, it's easy to just point to Tim Patrick as the guy who, who's obviously going to have his, his snaps maybe reduced or, or his targets, whatever way you want to put it. Um, but, you know, maybe Jerry Judy, maybe his role gets a little bit different. I don't know how much it drops off. He had like a 20, over a 20% uh, target share a year ago. Noah Fant, 17% target share. Uh, Tim Patrick, 17% in the games that he played, did miss um, a little bit of time. I think he just missed one game, but that, that knocked down his his total uh, target share. But on average, about 17, 18% uh, for Tim Patrick. So uh, again, a lot of mouths to feed and, and, you know, who kind of gets penalized by uh, Sutton's re, re, like re uh, injection into this offense because you figure if if healthy he's you know an 800 snap guy. Yeah, I think Sutton will play like 900 snaps, maybe more than that. And if only because of the category of player he is and where he lines up, I think it has to be Patrick that he hurts the most. It it could hurt Judy. It, it probably will hurt Judy in terms of the target volume, but. I think Sutton being there will make Judy's job so much easier that there might be an efficiency boost to offset at least and maybe even create like a, a you know surplus relative to last year's sort of baseline for Judy. So with, with Sutton out there, the safeties can't sit on Judy the way they used to. They just can't do it. So that's going to open up things for Judy to offset. I don't see the offset potential with Patrick. Like I, I feel like more likely he was kind of um, – not, not to like take credit away from the guy because he he did what he did last year with probably most of the defensive attention on him or at least you know not not much less than what was on Judy and he did it anyway so he can clearly at, at the very least like beat a defense if they're not keep keeping honest and and you know giving him a fair amount of attention um, but I think he was nonetheless kind of toward his higher range of outcomes the past couple of years and I, th- I think he was kind of due to to settle down toward the middle as it was and, and bringing Sutton in, I think pretty much just makes it a certainty. Okay. And and then, you know, looking at, at the way that the routes and, and the alignment were distributed a year ago, uh, Judy was mostly outside, but did play over 300 snaps in the slot. Tim Patrick, just a little bit more uh, snaps out of the slot, 329 to Judy's 325. KJ Hamler played 358. So that's, you know, a significant number of slot snaps. Uh, you know, when you have, the tight end personnel that Denver also has as well, you know, like what 
do we? They should do air raid, basically. Yeah. That's what. That's what yeah, I wanted. Them. I really those, wanted yeah. them to get Darnold because it's. Like, I know everybody, and, and I don't really have a good argument against the idea that Sam Darnold is bad. Yeah, we're. I just we'll don't think he too. is, and I, I don't. I don't expect anyone to care, but like, that's that's how I looked at it, and I was like, man, if he just goes to Denver, he's gonna have just so much size and speed on the field. They really should try to get a Quegmanum on the field more, in my opinion. And I know Fant is good. But Equipmanum could be as good as him. And at the very least, he's a guy who, if, if the defense isn't paying attention to him deep, you, you get an easy touchdown out of it. Like, you, you just, that's one that can change the way defenses approach you the rest of the year if you play that one right. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot that can go right. And it's not many, there's not enough, not enough to go around. I wanted a bigger pie. And I, I don't, I'm kind of skeptical Locke can do it. But at the very least, all these guys are going to flash big plays. And uh, I, I think Hamler's a year away. I think Equegwinum doesn't have much realistic room to operate. It's going to be Sutton, it's going to be Judy, and then Patrick. Um, but all of those guys, or sorry, a, a receiver, obviously, Fant ahead of Patrick, um, third overall in the order, I would say. Um, but all of those guys are, are pretty dangerous. So looking at Jerry Judy specifically, I, I think, you know, it's probably fair to fair to say that we were relatively cool on Judy, at least compared to market around this time a year ago. Um, and there, there were, you know, there there were some obvious flaws to his game. I mean, the catch rate was abysmal. Uh, you know, how much of that do you want to a lot lop onto Drew Locke? How much do you want to blame it on Judy? He did have some drops issues during his time at Alabama. So that carried over a little bit. I mean, 11.5% drop rate a year ago that that can't continue. I assume that that's just such a bad number that it will creep back towards maybe just mid range, mid range of being bad or, or a problem. Um, I can't imagine him uh, catching less than 50% of his targets again. I, I know he was a downfield guy, like almost 14 yards of average depth of target, but I, I think that, you know, he, he's going to be someone that, that catches closer to league average or, you know, high 50% um, at the very least and can do a lot of damage with the with those targets. So I guess at, re, at ADP, with the consideration of Cortland Sutton coming back, how much do you like Jerry Judy at his current ADP? It looks like he in best balls over the last week, he's going as high as 78, um, as low as 99. So a pretty thin range or a pretty reliable range as to as to where he's going. Um, where are you with Judy specifically? Well, he's he looks like he's at a wide receiver 40 overall. And to me, that seems a little bit at once like a little bit low but not necessarily low enough that i'm going to end up buying a whole lot if only because there's there's kind of just a glut of receivers in his range that they all end up in one tier it's like eight different names ranked in the draft order a particular way but generally you're taking them at the same point in the draft if you're taking them because it's it's a, as much as it as much as one has to be ranked ahead of the other and down to eight or whatever number we're looking at you, you practically speaking, you have to make the same decision at the same time in each case. So because I, if it was like an auction and I was just paying the rate for Judy, I'd say like, yeah, I'll probably end up with some of that. But uh, because I have to more specifically choose between Judy and Sutton, I'm taking Sutton. And because I have to choose between Judy and Odell Beckham or DJ Chark, I'm taking those guys, mm, not really okay. even thinking about it. Um, but if I were in, if it were a scenario where it's like I take DJ Chark or I take Odell Beckham, at uh, whatever it is, uh, and then then I have the option of trading back up for Judy at that price. I would say like, yeah, that's a good price for Judy. I just 
couldn't i didn't have the option of i didn't have a wallet that let me take both of them at the same time you know as yeah i see what you're saying there um so yeah i think he'll definitely get better is the thing like i actually think his rookie season was promising i didn't yeah. mean to come across as like a critic of his necessarily i was more like i think well, people good. were just over their skis on him so like right i just i was just like realistic. i think he's good i just don't know that i care like i don't i don't rank him ahead of like cd lamb or anything like that and and uh you know justin jefferson had a really clean prospect profile and and it's kind of like this year where it's like all these guys are good. It just kind of depends where they land. That that has a lot to do with how well they do, uh, especially their rookie years. But Judy, with despite the drops, graded to me as slightly above baseline because his his forty six percent catch rate was bad, but it was only ten points lower than uh, the team baseline, and his yards per target was was one point one yards over the team baseline. So that's that's like a break even at worst, even though it kind of looks bad at a glance because you have to yeah. put it in. The, the, the broader you know context of how that offense actually constructed itself sure so yeah I think that there there is improvement coming and you know that you know only had three touchdowns on, on 113 targets I, I feel like uh, we, we talked about someone last week where, where the uh, the touchdowns didn't really match the the target volume but I, I could see you know some positive touchdown regression for Judy as well if it because I expect that volume to be at least the same at least into the triple digits I think um, that's the kind of thing that comes back into the it runs head-on into the drew lock factor again because it's like there would be touchdown a positive touchdown regression for Judy if the offense were throwing a certain number of touchdowns but it's like we need Locke to actually do it. Yeah. It's like if Locke throws 20 touchdown passes, then Judy's not getting more than three. But if Locke somehow throws like 30, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, Judy's looking at, I don't know, maybe like eight or nine then. Oh, that is a good but point. I don't know how much I like the chances of that. You know, <laughs> Judy right. Locke, he's rough last year and the year before. So just, just a very wide range. It really reminds me a lot. The same thing that I said last year, Drew Locke in Denver reminds me of Mitch Trubisky in Chicago, uh, specifically that year that he was a good fantasy pick because he had yeah, like the six touchdown game. And it turned out, it was like, well, his numbers were good, especially in fantasy, but uh, also he sucks. And the only reason the numbers were as good as they were is because he was throwing to players better than he is at quarterback, basically. Yep. So uh, may- maybe that, you know, lightning in a bottle for, for one year, maybe for, for Locke. We'll, we'll have to see. But either way, that this- Mitch did it. It's, it's definitely possible Mitch could do it. He's just terrible. So, <laughs> so I I don't know. I guess my my bottom line takeaway is that I'm I'm like very interested in Denver. Um, and you know this is again acknowledging that that the bottom could fall out because of, of the quarterback, uh, situation. But I love the combination of skill guys that they have, and, and I think that you know you, you don't really have to break the bank in, in best ball right now, at least, um, to to get a lot of these guys. So I'll I'll be. I don't know if I'll go the full Denver stack, but I definitely will be comfortable with, with getting multiple pieces of, of this passing attack. Uh, I don't know if I'll really attack much of its backfield whatsoever. Um, Gordon although sucks. I, he's pretty I, useful because they got to give him the ball, but man, he's not good. And if, if they draft a halfway decent running back, I bet that guy can do just as good as him. I was, I was thinking about this this morning as, as well. What if they went with like Michael Carter in the third round as, as like a supercharged version of Philip Lindsay? I guess that'd be kind of weird to me if only for the aesthetic being so similar, but I guess Lindsay was doing so poorly as a pass catcher and Carter does project to do better there, but I don't know. He's, he's just like, 
as small as Lindsay, but slower mm-hmm. pretty much. And definitely almost like, like he's almost definitely a better pass catching guy, but Lindsay was really good pass catcher at Colorado. I don't know what went so badly for him in the NFL in that capacity. Uh, I wouldn't get too scared for Gordon if it, if it was Michael Carter, I guess specifically, but if they draft Michael Carter, I think him and Royce Freeman combined are enough to be a nuisance because I know Royce Freeman probably isn't good, but I also just wouldn't be surprised if he has a good year eventually. It's like that guy started as a true freshman at Oregon and is a totally decent athlete. So uh, Gordon's just not very good, and nope. or at least like he hasn't been good. He's been both injury prone and not that great on the field. I know his rushing numbers looked good last year, but that was largely propelled by that. Uh, he broke a couple big runs in some meaningless late season game that I can't remember. Didn't he go off against the Jets or something on that Thursday night? Yeah, game? it was like some game where the, the team that they were playing it was the an Jeff ugly Smith game. Yeah, it was an ugly game, and the defense, whatever it was, just kind of like disgraced it. And injuries and just ineffectiveness, and I, I, I'm i leery of investing in him, even though the, the projected playing time is definitely tempting. Yeah, uh, I mean, at, at the very least, like Melvin Gordon was like... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed the late third rounder last year you don't have to pay anything close to that uh this time around as far as draft capital is concerned but you have to decide between him and guys like Kareem Hunt, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne if if Harris or Etienne land up in, in what I view to be more favorable landing spots then I I you know my rookie brain will just take over and I'm just going to take those guys you know instead. I I'm bashing Gordon but in these these eight drafts these eight most recent 12 team best ball tens He's going 47th, and even I am not particularly concerned at that point. Okay, yeah. So uh, with that, with the the cost baked in there, uh, something to to consider. It's not a sexy pick for sure. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Let's go to uh, the next team that that we're kind of previewing that that's really caught our interest. That's the Carolina Panthers. Um, so that that's a team that it's going to look a lot different this similar to to. Um, to Denver in that it kind of lost the engine of its offense early in the season or, or you know, it, Chris McIver basically just, ba- I barely consider his season last year's season. Um, so that, that obviously changed a lot of things and, and another kind of uh, interesting detail to, to try to sort through in addition to the quarterback change, which we'll, which we'll get to in a second, but you know, that was a new offense. So were there any breadcrumbs that, that you could take away from the games that McCaffrey did play or even the games that, that he didn't where, with the way that they used Mike Davis to where you expect 
Carolina's offense to function a, a very specific way um, as far as its running back involvement is concerned, especially when they have, you know, a new quarterback now and they, they don't have Curtis Samuel, but DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson are, you know, obvious great talents that they need to, you know, be kind of steering the offense toward. Yeah, I think it'll look pretty much the same with the exception of, and not necessarily an exception, but just like there's more to be settled with their slot situation specifically. I know they signed David Moore. I actually think he might be pretty good, but it's it's hard to tell whether they do or whether they just kind of signed him to sort of, um, you know, just get some depth there and, and give them a little bit more of an error margin in the draft. So that's possible. They signed Dan Arnold, too, which is interesting because he's not a real tight end. Like I've seen some analysis that's pitting him against Ian Thomas and Ian Thomas might be headed to the bench, but that doesn't have anything to do with Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold does not play the same position as him. He's not going to line up in line more than maybe, I don't know, like a quarter of the time. And when he does, it's going to be a lot of like motioning into position so that he can do kind of like a zone blocking assignment on the edge and probably next to a tight end who's got the innermost in line. So Arnold, if he's there and if he's on the team, isn't playing tight end. So I would have to guess that if he's playing at all, he's mostly playing slot receiver. Uh, he could be playing just outside receiver, I guess. I mean, he's he's six six two twenty. He's not he's not really playing tight end. Um, so he could he could line up outside, which I guess could be interesting. But I think they signed him to play slot receiver basically. And so David Moore could be like competing for slot snaps and outside snaps, being like a swing backup type. Dan Arnold and DJ uh, David Moore could be just splitting the slot. Uh, but then of course they could also draft a guy like. Uh, they could draft a guy like Kadarius Tony in this, the top of the second round and just plug him into Samuel's role just exactly the same, more or less. Uh, that's that's all on the table, and I, I can't really tell right now which way it breaks. They might not know either. They might be waiting to see what happens with the draft. So there's a lot to, to figure out there, but Moore or Arnold could be interesting. Like Arnold, I was just writing something that I'm hoping to post later today. Uh, Arnold's like the only tight end in best ball tens that I – think is worth drafting in the final two or three rounds, which is more so to say, get your tight ends before the last three rounds. Don't go like with a, I'll just take Dan Arnold in the 18th plan. Like that's, you don't really want to end up there. It's more like if if you do, here's kind of all you have as recourse now. Um, But Arnold could be pretty interesting because, you know, a tight end, we have a much lower bar for what's useful production. So if he has 400 yards this year, that's, we, we wouldn't care if he was a receiver, obviously, but if he's a tight end and if it's in best ball, there's a chance that those 400 yards have like, you know, three or four useful games in there somewhere. Uh, so if, if he's playing receiver rather than, tight, rather than tight end, and if he's getting graded against tight ends rather than receivers, Dan Arnold could be pretty useful depending on what happens with the draft there. Uh, otherwise, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are locked in. Uh, yeah, of, of course. The, yeah, they are. And, you know, with, with the, the change at quarterback, does your outlook on both of them mostly stay the same or are you willing to kind of maybe pay five or six picks above market for, for the, like a half a round for, for uh, a guy like Moore or Anderson? Anderson's tempting. Moore is tempting. I think they're both good players. I, again, I think Darnold is maybe he won't be good, but I think he's better than some other quarterbacks who have put up useful numbers and have, uh, I think he's certainly going to be an improvement over Bridgewater. I think I think Bridgewater was awful last year, and I think that um, 
it bodes well. I don't know if it's more Joe Brady or Matt Rule or both, but it bodes well uh, just from like the team structure standpoint, like the, the wisdom of the people calling the plays and everything that they were able to get above baseline returns for all three of those receivers. So those three receivers, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, all had pretty much the best years that they could with the offense designed the way it was. Uh, and, and that happened even though Bridgewater was the quarterback and P.J. Walker for a couple games. So normally when you have quarterback play as bad as those two, the receivers cannot thrive. And yet all three of them did. So uh, it's it's one of those things like even if Darnold isn't good, it doesn't mean anything like the quarterback play can't get worse there. But I think it's pretty easy to see how it could get better if only because like the best wide receiver crew Darnold ever threw to with the Jets and even when he did, this is with a trash offensive line. And of course, the one of the worst coaches in the in the league's history uh, running the show. It was like Robbie Anderson was his only decent receiver. I guess I had Crowder there, too. But uh, going from a Robbie Anderson bad offensive line offense to one where it's just a slightly below average offensive line, but with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, it's like Darnold might suck, but. Teddy Bridgewater already showed that it's hard to have truly bad numbers in this offense. That That's a huge point. That's a huge sticking point there when it comes to, you know, where we can realistically see that this offense's trajectory going from here. And, you know, let's talk about Sam Darnold just a little bit more because, you know, he's someone that I know you and I were both big fans of coming out, everything like that. I mean, there's a lot of talent there, obviously a lot of turnovers, but, you know, I was personally like willing to kind of overlook that because he he was just able he was a gamer um i thought that you know he had the the requisite arm strength to make all the throws he seemed like he he had it he there's there he didn't have like one obvious trait that w- that was really stand out among the rest but it, it felt like you wanted to go to war with sam darnold and and it obviously hasn't gone the way that it that it should have or was expected at least to this point you need to contextualize that he's still extremely young, even though he's had three. You yeah. Know, and you can't discount the, the scarring of three years in New York what may have done to him. I mean, that we've seen quarterbacks get kind of put through the ringer and get, you know, kind of permanently damaged one way or the other just by being in really bad situations. But, you know, like how much can you put on Sam Darnold, his numbers from a year ago where he was really, really bad. I mean, the team that the Jets were dead last in yards per attempt, like how much do you put that on Darnold versus just the Gase slash active tanking slash, you know, awful receiving core and, you know, rookie offensive line, left tackle type of thing, um, all of that kind of factoring in around him. So like, where, where do you side with, with, with that whole conundrum from 2020 in terms of how to solve or figure out uh, and what to extrapolate from Darnold last year? Well, the whole situation with the Jets just makes Darnold's sample a, a non-applicable to me. Like, it's it's a botched sample. I, it might mean it could have meant something, but there's just noise and terror there. Like, I don't, I don't see what there is to extract other than just noting the observation of that it, it was discord. Like, it was just, it was just... It was a, it was just a structure collapsing. There wasn't it, what it fell up, what it collapsed upon is is not something that's that interesting to me. Uh, it was going to happen regardless of Darnold being there. I know some people were pointing at Joe Flacco playing last year, and it's like, oh well, Flacco was better. Like Flacco was better numbers in like a couple games, and he's he's a longtime veteran who 
wouldn't have had sort of like the anxieties and pressures that Sam Darnold would have. Like Darnold, when he's out there, feels the need to be like the franchise quarterback of this team. Flacco was like, I just got to, you know, sneak out of here and get so get I can it. get another contract. Yeah, he's like, I just I just got to not look bad. And Darnold didn't care about looking bad. He tried to like make the big plays, which um, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure Flacco was looking for a big play. I'm not saying he literally was just trying to just throw check downs or whatever, but it was just not meaningful what occurred there. Like it, it was it, you could note it anecdotally for what it was, but it didn't it didn't mean anything. And for for Darnold to have such objectively bad players around him and like a truly like destructively foolish man in Adam Gase running the whole show. Like Darnold could be bad, but if he was good, it would have been a similar result. I don't think a good quarterback can can exist in those conditions. And particularly when we have a case like Jared Goff, who I know he's still bad, um, but I, I absolutely still believe with, without any hesitation or reservation that Sam Darnold is better than Jared Goff. I don't need to think about that. I don't need to think about Darnold being better than like Goff or Bridgewater or Drew Locke, players like that. And we've seen with, you know, Goff improving from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay, uh, Mitch Trubisky having a fluky good season with the Bears. It's like there's no reason that I see that Darnold can't have that kind of outcome. If players who I, who let's just say I'm wrong that Darnold is better than than Goff or Trubisky. Does anyone really want to say that he's much worse? Does, does anyone want to say that in a league where players as bad as Goff and uh, Chubisky can have good fantasy seasons that Darnold really can't either on the on by far the most functional team that he's played for. That all seems like stretches to me. And even if you go back to his USC career, it's not like a it's not like a situation where he just, uh, you know, like the anxieties people might have about Burrow or Tonga Bailoa, where they're just throwing to an all star cast of receivers like Darnold's number one receiver in his last season at USC was Deontay Burnett. Yeah. So it's it's. Weird things happen. Sometimes players, you know, who used to be good, maybe they get fractured by their circumstances. Maybe Darnold's that. Maybe Darnold just was bad and always will be. It just seems like an improbable set of uh, details, if so, to me. Like, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing I want to wager on being the case. Yeah, and and again, like, like we were kind of spelling out earlier, this is an offense that, like, inherently is going to raise his baseline. Like, it it should just go so much more smoothly, not only because he a already has that rapport with Robbie Anderson that was, that was solid during his time in New York, but you got DJ Moore, and, and of course, I think he probably unlocks more things for Joe Brady to call out in this offense. And, and Downfield things especially. Are, yeah, so 100% there, and, and you know, you do have Christian McCaffrey back that this time around, and uh, you know that 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 puts pressure on the defense in a different way. So I, I think that just this whole set of circumstances makes makes it all set up really well for for Carolina. So I'm glad you kind of mentioned them as a, as another team to to discuss and break down a little bit because I, I think there's a lot there and and maybe it's not all being completely addressed in in, in the best ball markets right now. I, I didn't get a share of Darnold this past one because I, I went a little more expensive at quarterback. I went with Lamar Jackson and then Trevor Lawrence. Um, but in my other ones where I waited uh, when like Trevor Lawrence was my first quarterback, um, I do have Sam Darnold. And this this was pre-trade as well. But I I went late Sam Darnold in a, in a few spots and didn't think twice about it. And I was even thinking or really having no idea where he was going to end up. And, and certainly I didn't think that Carolina was like at the top of that list. 
Yeah, I did not make note of where Donald was going before, but at the very least, everyone should be able to agree he should go higher now than he was going when, um, not that we were assuming he was going to play for the Jets, but wherever you valued him with the Jets, he should be safely above that in Carolina. Like I, I have him in um, a super flex best ball draft where I, at the time, had no idea where he was playing, and I took him in like the sixth round or something for as my or my maybe seventh or something as my quarterback three. And I'm really happy with how that one turned out because now I've got Stafford, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Sam Darnold, and Cam Newton, who I got later in that one. So uh, my running backs probably suck in that one, but I think I've got pretty easily the highest scoring quarterbacks in that one. Beautiful. There you go. It's a good setup there. Um, let's go ahead. Let's transition over to our rookie draft. So this will, you know, suppose supposed to mirror kind of what what you, our dear listener, will be going through in the next few weeks when you do your your rookie drafts in your dynasties, especially if you're drafting, if you're running that draft before the actual NFL uh, draft takes place. So that this one will, will definitely help apply to you there and hopefully give you some good ideas as to how things should shake out, how you should be valuing certain positions, um, that sort of thing. So Mario, I'll go ahead and give you uh, the first pick here. Why don't you lead us off? Yeah, um, so my top 50 uh, that I posted to the site, there's no paywall, you can look at it. This contradicts my top 50, but to, to spice things up a bit, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll instead of taking Jamar Chase like I always do, I'll take Kyle Pitts. And uh, this, this is not meant to be a shocking take or anything. It's just kind of like playing the scenario, thinking it through. Kyle Pitts is the best tight end prospect since... Tony Gonzalez, something like that. Like it's it's a 20 year kind of thing. It's not a five year. It's not a 10 year. It's a 20 year, 25 year kind of question. And the wide receiver depth is so great in this draft that before the NFL draft, there's so much that we can't control about where these talents will land, who, who they're going to be dependent on for production. I'm not as worried about that with Pitts because whoever takes him is going to need to use him right away to justify the expense. And for whatever team he's on, generally speaking anyway, there's no one who can get in his way. Uh, he, he would have to just kind of fail, which seems unlikely to me. So I think you can get pits and you can call it a reach or whatever. But even if you reach for pits in a draft, you're still going to be in position to get good receivers. And the people who are spending earlier at receiver than you might lose their theoretical gains if their guys just go to the wrong team. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great way of, of framing it, and, and that partially informs what I'm going to do with, with with this pick at number two. Because again, like you said, receiver is so ridiculously deep, and you know, tight end, like you said, is perilously thin. I mean, it's it's Kyle Pitts, and then a giant gulf between him and whoever that that second tier. Of, I don't think there's really any other rookie tight end that will be worth drafting for for season long for for dynasty it's a different question but you'll have to go much much later um for for them to be really of interest but you know like a hunter long um that pat Pat frayermuth and brevin jordan maybe tommy tremble but that guy seems like a fullback or something i i uh i had tremble to the to the steelers in the second round in in a mock i did a, a week ago that was like a full uh field mock draft but like that that made because it made football sense for for the Steelers more than like something to really catch your eye for fantasy but back to my pick here I've really uh, done a number on this preamble but basically running back really thin Uh, I I kind of acknowledge that the market seems to suggest that Najee Harris might be the first running back off the board 
but I still think that Travis Etienne, provided that he gets picked in the first 35 picks, which I'm very confident that he will, he's still going to push for a, a really heavy workload that's right in line with Najee Harris. And I think he's better than Najee Harris. So with all that in mind, give me Travis Etienne second overall in this rookie draft. Yeah, Etienne is the top running back. We've I've talked about it a lot, obviously. It's 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 tedious. It's annoying. I wish people would start to just be more lucid and stop trafficking in narratives and, and trying to be in line with everybody else on the internet about everything. Just just return to the tape and the stats and, and you know, you don't need to open your third eye for this one. ETN is the best running back in this draft. It's not actually close at all. But yeah, so that's that's a good pick. I'll go to Jamar Chase now. He is one of those guys who is very much um, you know, it's likely that he's going to go to Cincinnati and Cincinnati would probably be fine. Might even be his best case. You could say like, maybe it's best that he's with Burrow. I don't know, but, uh, he could still go to a worse place yet. So I would not blame anyone for taking him like third or fourth or something like that. And, uh, all the same, if you do get him third, you're, you're getting him lower than the general going rate. So, uh, it's, one of those guys, this this top four picks, there's top three picks. There's a lot of ways you can go that are all justifiable and all of uh, distinct upsides with not that much in the way of downside. Exactly. So next up, I will go. I'll go with Trevor Lawrence. Um, I just think that he, you know, similar to how generational of a talent Kyle Pitts is at tight end, Trevor Lawrence right there among quarterbacks. I've always loved your example of like you can't apply the Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck comp. It's more of a LeBron James, Ronald Acuna type of guy. Um, so I, I like Trevor Lawrence. I, I think that he goes to an offense. I know how bad the Jags were these last few years, but. There's talent there. Um, I think the offensive line maybe isn't as bad as, as people think. Maybe the the injection of the new system with Urban Meyer really fits with, with Trevor Lawrence's skill. So uh, Trevor Lawrence, for me, I mean, this doesn't surprise you or myself, but, you know, he's someone that you should definitely be targeting in, in your regular season long drafts. And I, I think that he will already be a top 10 fantasy quarterback from the second he steps on the field this year. So give me Trevor Lawrence at four. Yeah, I know people think that that's a reach, but people got to think back to uh, kind of like the Kyler Murray draft. It's like, imagine all the people who were taking Enkil Harry over Kyler Murray yeah, under, yeah. The, under the, the the assumption, the truism, like, you can't take a quarterback in a one-quarterback league. It's like, well, what if the quarterback's really good? Still, don't do it. The receivers are better currency. It's like receivers bust pretty often, too, and... Uh, we're not talking about a normal prospect with Lawrence. It's it's just different. So if he's like a Mahomes-level asset, then no one is going to complain about how they spent a top-five pick on him in a one-quarterback dynasty league. So uh, with that with that all said, um, we, we may be biased, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and say good pick, John. Uh, with the, with this fifth overall pick, I'm I'm like loath to to make it because I don't <laughs> think Najee Harris is actually that good. I think he's good. I think I think he's just good though. And I think ETN is clearly a great running back prospect and that people can't distinguish the two uh, on that basis it irritates me. Um, so with the with the fifth pick, I'll take Najee Harris with uh, the, the also the announcement uh, open for trade. If anyone would like to trade, you know, their their later picks to, to get the rights to Harris, just call me. It might might not take that much. I would I would love to trade the rights to Harris for like, I don't know, uh, just like. Devonte Smith and Kadarius Tony or something like that. If there was if there was two pretty good receivers in the first three rounds that I could get in exchange for Harris, I would make that deal. But for now, I'm taking him fifth and you know holding him hostage. Okay, smart, smart. I, I like that play and and yeah, the 
capitalizing on, on where he should be selected because it realistically, even if we're not, not as high on him as some others, he should still probably go fifth or fifth or sixth, maybe even slightly higher in your rookie draft. So if you're not that high on him personally, maybe someone else in your league that, that wasn't picking there could be. And, and there, there you have the makings of a trade. So like that call um, next up pick number six, I think it's Jalen Waddle um, dipping into the into the receiver pool a little bit. I think that he goes somewhere between pick 11 to the Giants to, you know, maybe 15 or 16. Don't think he falls much further than that. Everything sounds like it's good to go as far as how the NFL views his recovery from that ankle injury. Obviously played in the national championship game a little bit. So I'm not concerned about that. Dude's a total game breaker. Uh, I'd be very, very happy to have him um, as the second receiver off the board and in the sixth uh, overall player in a rookie draft. I think he's a good bet to go sixth overall to the Dolphins. And yeah, I think that Waddle is clearly the truth. I have, I have no reservations about that guy at all. He's 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 different. He's going to be a monster, in my opinion. Uh, maybe like Carolina Steve Smith or something like that. With the seventh pick, this is where we get into this, this range of like a big tier of really good receivers. And the best ones are just going to be the ones that, at least in 2021 and, you know, the short term, the best ones are just going to be the ones who land with the best quarterbacks and the, the most like snaps available. So the Jefferson talent, yeah, uh, the, the, the talent question is not really worth thinking about that much. You almost want to just like kind of flip a coin more or less for me between Marshall Bateman, Moore, Devonte Smith. I'm going to take Terrace Marshall here though. He's just, he's just a little cleaner right now to me than Devonte Smith with Devonte Smith, apparently just not running or doing any testing before the draft. Like I'm, I'm defensive, I guess, about that guy being written off over his frame. But if we don't know what he runs, then I, I just know less about him for certain than I do about guys like Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, and Elijah Moore. So I'll go with Marshall, um, and and I'm you know gonna just kind of be anxious about his landing spot until the draft, I guess. Okay, I like the Terrace Marshall call. Um, in that mock uh, for, that I was doing a week ago, I mocked Marshall, I believe, to the Titans at 22. I thought that would have been kind of an interesting potential yeah. landing spot. Um, you know, they got to replace Corey Davis somehow, and you can only give Derrick Henry so many carries. You can only give AJ Brown so many uh, targets. So may- maybe uh, disagree Marshall. on that last part. Just just throw it to him every play. It'll work. I think it's fine. fair enough. Um, Let's move on. So next pick, you know, I'm I'm a little, little t- uh, scared on Devontae Smith, too, and, and we know what the measurables are for Elijah Moore. I'll go with Elijah Moore um, at, at eight. Um, I, I think it, it's become more and more obvious that he's going to go in the late first round. I don't think he falls past very, very early second. And mm-hmm. so the draft capital elements taken care of the you know, his ability to fit into a system as a slot receiver right away off the bat is a slam dunk, in my opinion. So he's a day one contributor. If he if he goes to the right landing spot, if he goes to like the Saints or something, it'd be electric, like just right off the bat. I would absolutely love that. So give me Elijah Moore at eight. Yeah, I'm not sure I believe the four three five forty on him, but just as important about Elijah Moore, he actually measured in at 510. Like he's going to be listed at 510, 180, which kind of, I think, makes him what Deontay what the Deontay Johnson truthers wanted Deontay Johnson to be like more can be that kind of guy, but he's got more tools to work with. And that, that tools distinction is what the gap is between uh good and serviceable versus like standout, very good. And 
I think Moore's production in college makes clear that he's with the, the tools, not really a question either. Like he, he really can't fail. Or at least it would be shocking if he did. Uh, nine, I'm going to take Rashad Bateman. I don't know if it'll age well. Like Devontae Smith is more or less the same grade to me, even with the non-applicable for his athleticism. But when we're advising people with how to handle their wagering interests, you know, it's like, and if Devontae Smith does suck, and in hindsight, I advise people to take the athletic unknown on the skinniest frame over guys who were not not similarly productive in college, but productive enough and with very good workouts otherwise, that's one of those things that in hindsight you wouldn't have a good excuse for, you know? Like if it, if it goes bad, I'll, I'll just look like an idiot for it. So I'll take Bateman because there are just quite simply fewer questions with him. Okay. No, that, that's, a, that's a really good way of, of framing that. And that, you know, we'll, we'll see if, if that catches on or, or if people are, are become hip to it one way or the other. But I think, you, you know, like you said, there, there are less concerns. There's more precedent for guys like Bateman having success than Devontae Smith with, with all those unknowns. And the, um, sorry, quickly, Devontae yeah. Smith is different from Waddle because we just know Waddle's fast as hell. And he incidentally is 10 pounds heavier, too. Yep. And, and denser, too, because he, he's yes. not quite as tall. Um, I will go with Devontae Smith here. I think this is probably his basement floor um, at, the, at the 10th pick in, in your rookie drafts. Um, we we laid out that what could go wrong, what could go right. Maybe he lands in a good landing spot. Um, he, you know, maybe becomes, I, I thought the one comp that, that could make sense on the positive end of things, maybe like a Marvin Harrison type. I mean, that, oh, that'd totally. be, that yeah. would be amazing. Obviously Heisman trophy level production, but again, those concerns made him drop here, but at 10, Looking at those other receivers and other guys available, Smith felt like the right call at 10. So if your draft plays out this way, uh, Smith at 10 is a value, I think. I still like Smith, definitely. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to sound like a critic, but yeah. It, it, and for what it's worth, if he does end up running before the draft and he runs like a 4-4-5 four, four, or better, then I would move him back ahead of uh, Terrace Marshall. And, and yeah, I I would put him up. I would lock him into. I think the the right behind Jalen Waddle in the rankings. If if Devonte runs a four four five, but uh, in the meantime, I still think he's he's going to be good. It just it just feels more reckless to advise other people. So um, if it's if it's me or you on the board, I think we're taking him a little earlier than this, John. Um, but yeah, I think uh, around the clock rather. Uh, at eleven overall, I'm going to go to the the quarterback supply because I think we jump off a wide receiver tier and uh, Justin Fields. I, I don't really believe the like, I'm not one of his super fans, but I think the, the some of the narratives that are getting pushed in the media lately seem borderline desperate. And I don't think that uh, some of the things that he's getting raked for in the media are things that scouts will say about every quarterback. And yet just this time is why it's for some reason becoming mainstream news. And I think that indicates a motive rather than um, like a sincere concern so I basically think this Mac Jones stuff at three is nonsense. I think that Fields is going to go to Atlanta at the latest and uh, San Francisco more likely than Mac Jones to San Francisco. So I'm going to take Justin Fields here because guy who's an athlete like him is going to be useful in fantasy as long as he's in a vaguely functional offense. So ideally that would be Shanahan, I think. Uh, but if it's not Shanahan... Arthur Smith will work fine, not so much for this year, but uh, if, if he goes to Atlanta, then then uh, Justin Fields should be like 
pushing for that Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott range of quarterbacks if, he, if he's a starter. Okay, I like that. Yeah, and, and like you said, there there is a definite like tier shift um, after Devontae Smith, the way that we've had this laid out. So jumping fields, uh, going going to him as a second quarterback definitely makes a lot of sense late in the first round of a rookie draft. I will probably stick with receiver here. Is is I, I'm looking at two very very different guys. Uh, I like the profile more for Nico Collins, so I'll go with that. That that might be acknowledging that he will probably go later in the actual draft than Rondale Moore, but I, I feel more certain that that the stuff that Collins brings to the table will stick at the NFL level. Uh, whereas more there there's you know with Rondale Moore there are more concerns in my opinion. So I will take Nico Collins uh, to round out the first round, and we'll, we'll just kind of run through here on the on the second round a little bit quicker. Yeah, I'll take for the first pick in the second round, Trey Lance. It's basically the same reasoning as Fields, just that Lance might be a little more likely for a red shirt as a rookie. Um, but the, the peak upside with him is basically peak Josh Allen or better. Like he, he should be able to guy. He should be a guy who can take uh, rushing volume and explosiveness as a passer too. Like that, um, I will go with Kadarius Tony uh, with the second pick of the second round. Um, I feel like he's going to be a top forty selection, and again, he's got a little bit more uh, projectable stuff that than than Rondale Moore. I love Rondale Moore. I know I feel like I've painted myself into the corner of being like a Rondale hater, but um, I just I think that uh, there, there's just so much reasonable concerns. Yeah, there's just, just some reasonable. concerns, man. I'm sorry. Um, so, so give me Tony, um, especially if he if he goes somewhere like the Jags at the, at the top of the second. Oof, would really like that. Yeah, that'd be good. I think he's going either there or the 49ers or the Carolina Panthers, and all of them I think sound good. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, for 15th pick, this is going to be the team that took Jamar Chase in the first round. So, with wide receiver already short up, I'm going to go with Javante Williams, and I, this is much later than Javante Williams goes in most people's drafts. And I don't know what to tell them. It's like if you want a guy, if you want to freak out about a guy who's smaller and slower than Kylan Hill and didn't take up as much of a workload in college, and if you want to say there's three rounds between them, you can do that. But I, I, I'm I'm laughing at the idea and. Whereas I'm like trying to play it safe with the Devonte Smith advisement, it's like I can't I can't tell someone to take a 212 pound four five eight running back in the top five and like over Etn or Najee Harris. It's just ridiculous. So uh, with that said, though, at 15, it's an easy one because I, I still like Javante Williams as a day two prospect, and uh, with with running back a bigger need, I'll take him here. There you go. Uh, next up, uh, with what the fifth pick of the set of the second Fourth. round. Fourth, um, I will go with Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State. I don't think that he's the flashiest guy in the world and has some injury history, but that dude can just play receiver. And and I'm starting to become more and more convinced that you don't need to be like that that superior athlete to to be a productive receiver in the NFL. Like if you have some moxie to you, if you have um, you know just the route running and, and the general know how, I think that you that can get you a long way. And I think Wallace has all of that, so I will go with Wallace there. Uh, Mario, I think you have muted yourself. You're good. I, I did mute myself. I, I thought I unmuted I'm, myself. I'm sorry my take I, was so objectionable. No, no, uh, t- no. I was saying Tylen Wallace reminds me a lot of Robert Woods. I think he's going to be a really good player if his health cooperates. Uh, so I definitely like that pick. Uh, with this one, I'll take Rondale. I, I think I think he's he's going to be limited for like the the volume he can take on and like the, maybe the depth of target. But he's 
he's easy to use, even though he's also atypical, you know? So I, I think he'll be at least a uh, steady contributor. And it, he, he could have a few big carries, a big a few big catches that give him some big games too, even if he's like a low depth of target guy. Yep. Yep. Uh, really no, no downfield skill set that we know of from, from Purdue, but, but, you know, explosive with the ball in his hands, if nothing else. Uh, next up, I will go with Diami Brown out of North Carolina. I'm fairly confident that he ends up being a day two selection where on day two, I think it maybe leans a little bit closer to the third round, but I could definitely see him in the second, um, later on. And, uh, he's, you know, 20 yards per catch type of guy over a large sample at North Carolina, a lot to like about his game as well. So I'll go with Diami Brown. Nice. Uh, I'm going to go with Tamori and Terry at this pick. I feel like the, the hype on him is just a little too quiet for a guy who to me is basically the same prospect as Denzel Mims from last year. Like I know his testing wasn't quite as good, but I actually like Terry's production a little bit better from Florida state. And what's interesting to me is he, he's like a real high top speed guy. Maybe he can't be a wide receiver one cause he's not sudden enough off the line. But if you don't put a safety over that guy, he will kill your defense. And I, I think that there's not that many players you can say that about, even if he's uneven. So I, I'm chasing the upside here, but I'll go with Tamori and Terry. I like that pick a lot. Um, let's see here. Next up, I will go. I'll go with Amari Rogers. Um, I, I think that he he's someone who has an interesting skill set. I think that he, you know, he's got that running back build that, that plays wide receivers, so that can be a problem for you know teams that put a small nickel back on him. Uh, he can break those tackles. Um, so I think he has. That, that pro ready skill set, you know, having played at Clemson for four years, obviously has the ACL in his past, but proved that he can still play at a very high level even past that. So I like Amari Rogers there at 20. Yeah, Rogers is almost amazing just for how quickly he came back from that injury, too. It's like no one, even Adrian Peterson, I feel like had more time than that. Yeah, it was, uh, six, so it was like six months, less than six months. It was crazy. Totally negligent, actually, for, the, for Clemson to let him play. <laughs> That soon after the injury. They already uh, had anyway. T. Higgins and Justin Ross, too. Like, they didn't need to f- rush him back. Yeah. Uh, what would they have done without mm-hmm. him? Yeah, uh, but, yeah, with this pick, uh, I'm not a fan of the prospect, but we have to acknowledge capital currency, draft capital currency and, you know, playing time currency. So I'm going to take Zach Wilson. He could be good. And, and if he is good, you know, in fantasy, it could be quite good because he should be a bit of a runner. But I'm also skeptical that he will run very much at 6'2", 214. That's normally a frame the NFL just refuses to consider you in the top 10. And I think that watching him play is like watching someone play 500 or it's like watching Ryan Tannehill, but only off of play action in Tennessee. It's just every single play is so comfortable for him. And he just throws it up to guys who are six foot six. So I don't and believe like in 27 years old. Yeah, they're all they're all 26. Every, everybody on the team is Chris Winky or uh, that Baylor Brandon Danny Weaver. Watkins. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's just, um, it's fine. He's going to play, you know, bad quarterbacks have put up numbers. So Wilson's a better prospect than like Mitch Trubisky or something. I just, the idea that he's anywhere near Lawrence or Fields or Lance is, is disgusting to me, but, uh, this is late. It, it, I shouldn't quibble over such things. Uh, yeah. 20, 21 Wilson definitely makes sense. Um, this one, maybe a little bit of wish casting here, but I'll go Kylan Hill at, at 22. Um, I think that he's, the 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 next or the best running back up on the board um maybe you know don't don't put words in your mouth but the way that you have your your top 50 rank maybe an acknowledgement that that maybe kylan hill goes a little bit later than some of these other running backs that are currently available but 
I'll bet on talent here and hopefully a good landing spot. So Kylan Hill um, at 22. Yeah, and as much as he's projected to go later than guys like Kenneth Gainwell and Michael Carter, those guys don't have three down upside like Kylan Hill does either. So they got to make it work on passing downs, but Hill can make it work on passing downs, but could make it work in an additional way that they can't. So especially when you're chasing the upside, Kylan Hill can play. He's, he's just got politics against him. Like Mike Leach is just whining about him to everybody. And I guess we'll see how much everyone cares about Mike Leach's opinion soon enough. But uh, Kylan Hill is good. I like he's like Marion Barber or something like that to me. He's he's just, he's just fiery on the field. Uh, so with this next pick here, I, I didn't want to sound like I was bashing Kenneth Gainwell or Michael Carter. And indeed, I, I still like Kenneth Gainwell. So. I'm going to take him here. Uh, he's going to have to make it work as like a Gio Bernard type probably, but I, I think that he's got enough talent and he ran like a four, four, seven sort of thing, four, four, five kind of 40. So even though Kenny Gainwell was five, eight, 200, which was smaller than expected, the skill set is there. And I think the speed is enough to work at the NFL level. Yep. Lo- love Kenny Gainwell. I've kind of, Gone back and forth on, on my evaluation of him during this offseason, but I definitely think that he he deserves to be um, in the top two rounds of a rookie draft. And I'll round it out. Um, it, this is putting my stamp that the Mac Jones is not someone that you should be targeting uh, with with a pick of any sort of real value or currency. I'll go with Anthony Schwartz. Uh, the the speed is just different. Uh, probably the fastest guy in the class. Maybe the fastest, you know, like almost as fast as Henry Ruggs. Um, He's faster, probably, and he's he's so young. Like I, I, I don't understand why people aren't noticing more that he's not even going to be 21 until October. So even if you think he sucks as a receiver to this point, like he's so raw and he's so recently a track-devoted guy. It's like, well, think it through. He's he's catching up on lost time, and and if he if he does make progress, it's going to be like you know exponential compared to the way most guys make progress. Yeah, and he but was able to command basically as many targets as Seth Williams this past year, who's you know a, a a career receiver and, and has been, you know, since, since high school. So for, for him to, to catch up the way that he did, it does portend, you know, some serious development in the positive way uh, for Schwartz. So get, get the tool or get things a little bit more refined, a little more polished on top of that speed. You don't even have to be that much more refined. Just get him the ball in some space and you're good to go. Um, rich man's uh, rich man's Russell gauge. I would call him. And I, th- I think that could be a very good player, even though I'm low on gauge. I'll take it. Um, Mario, fire off your, your next couple of guys that, that were in your consideration, and then we're, we're going to sign off here. Yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown is a guy that I would like if we could get his snaps guaranteed, but he's, he's going to have to make it as a slot person for the most part, and there's, there's, a lot of, there's just a lot of slot receivers right now hanging around the league. So if he gets the snaps, I love him. I just don't know if they're going to be there. And it's the same thing with Jalen Darden at North Texas. I think he's clearly very good, and if he gets snaps, I'm, I'm buying in. I'm taking out a loan to buy in on it. Uh, but in the meantime, we don't know whether he's going to fall. I will say with Darden, this is no Penny Hart case. Like Penny Hart ran like a four six five or something like that. Uh, he was productive in college, but he's not fast like Darden. He's not quick like Darden. So Darden's going to be a, a different than some of these other small school slot receivers that we've seen fail. Um, otherwise, I really like Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa. Like he ran a little slower than I expected. Like he's like a four, four, seven or something like that. I was hoping for a low four, four or four, three, seven, something like that. Uh, he's skinny, but the production's very clean at Iowa. And he, he actually has a lot in common aesthetically with Devonte Smith. I think like he's a little too skinny basically, but he, he just has a way of losing people. 
Absolutely. So that, yeah, those are good. Those are good, like next three up guys to consider. And, you know, maybe they're the, you'll be able to get them in the mid third or, or later, um, on in your rookie draft, but definitely, uh, put a, put a little star next to those guys' names. That's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast. We will, of course, be back next week. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.